Turn with me this morning to Psalm 119. And we're going to read from verse 65 to verse 72. Psalm 119, verse 65 to 72. Let's hear the word of God, reading, of course, from the authorized verse. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Thou art good, and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me and thousands of gold and silver. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text this morning is taken from Psalm 119. It's the verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. And verse 71, it is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Now, I've entitled this message, The Christian's Agony and Acceptance of Afflictions. You see, the word afflicted was in my mind because I feel afflicted with my sore neck and shoulder. I was thinking of the word afflictions. It's mentioned in the Bible, if we put the two together, 142 times. Now, that's a lot of references. In fact, the first reference to afflictions is Genesis 16, verse 11, in reference to Hagar and the child. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, thou shalt bear a son, and call his name Mishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy Affliction. Think of those words. The first reference in the Bible to afflictions. The Lord hath heard thy afflictions. And of course, the last reference to the word afflictions is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. Where we're exhorted, speaking of satanic forces, dark, evil forces, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, in between these two references, there's 140 other references in the Bible to the word afflicted and the word afflictions. Now, 30 of these are in the book of Psalms. That shouldn't surprise anybody. And seven of these are in Psalm 119. 
Let's just look at them. Look with me at verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. One of our texts, verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. 71, it is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Verse 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thy in faithfulness has afflicted me. Verse 92, unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in my affliction. Verse 107, I'm afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy word. And in the last reference, 153, consider mine affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. Seven references in total to the thought of affliction in Psalm 119. Seven is the number of perfections. Now, Psalm 119, young people, is the longest psalm in the Psalter. But also, it's the longest chapter in the whole of the Bible. And if you look especially at Psalm 119, you'll notice in the King James Bible that the, there's a word in capital letters at the top of the start of every eight verses in Psalm 119. Now, these strange words, they are the letters of the entire Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 in total. And each letter in the alphabet has a numerical value. And each letter in the, in the alphabet has a pictorial truth about it. Now, the ninth letter is the letter teth. If you look at the top of verse 65, you'll see the word teth in the authorized version. Now, the word teth has to do with goodness and purity. And especially goodness and purity in light of the attacks of Satan. The word or the letter nine or the, the, the number nine in biblical numerics has to do with trials and troubles. And here in this section, the word affliction and afflicted is mentioned twice. Verse 67 and verse 71. Now, King David, we believe, wrote this psalm, and all 176 verses are full of worship toward the living and the true God, the God who made heaven and earth. But it's not only a, a, a psalm about the worship of God, it's also a psalm about the word of God. In fact, there's only four verses that do not mention the scriptures of truth, mention the Bible, mention the commandments, mention the statutes or judgments of the Lord in one way or another. There's a little story told of a minister years ago who forgot his sermon notes. He arrived at church, started the service, and discovered, I have no sermon notes with me. They're in the study. So when he realized it, he said to the congregation, now let's all stand and sing, and he changed the hymn. We're going to sing Psalm 119. 
And then he went out of the pulpit, rode home on his bicycle, got the notes, came back into the pulpit, and they were still singing Psalm 119. Now, we have sung sections of Psalm 119. We have never attempted to sing it all. Although there is one boy here who learnt it all and was able to recite it to us years ago. Not sure if his memory is still the same uh, to this day. But we're not dealing with the whole psalm. We're not even going to sing parts of it. We're only focusing in on the ninth section. And there's one theme in that section that I want us to meditate upon, and it's the precious truth of affliction. Listen to these words. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statute. You see, here is the psalmist, and he's sharing a personal word of testimony about deep trials and troubles in his life. And King David had his share of pain. He had his woes and his troubles. He had his sufferings in this world. And you see, isn't it so sad? It's also wrong and sinful that many in today's world, in the very presence of pain and suffering and woe and trouble, use that to reject God, to denounce him. They, they assume that this all-wise, all-powerful, this good God, and they ask this, well, why would he allow suffering and pain and woe and trouble and war and disease in the world? Well, I have to tell them that that's insulting as far as a question is concerned. That's very superficial as far as a question is concerned because it assumes that the ultimate goodness in the world is a lack of suffering and pain and woe and trouble and war. But the ultimate goodness in the world is not that. The ultimate goodness in the world is the glory of the living and the true God. Man's chief end, we're told, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And who is sinful, puny man to question the wisdom? And the goodness and the power of Almighty God. It's a fact in David's life that he endured lots of pain, times of tears and suffering. And in his life, and this is what he said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. As I thought of this, I thought of four things. Let me share them with you. One, the reality of these afflictions. You see, afflictions and being afflicted is a fact of life. Afflictions, of course, have come about due to the fall of mankind in sin. Think of Hagar and what the Lord told her. The Lord hath heard thy Afflictions. He not only seen what was happening to Hagar, but he heard it. The, the word afflicted here or afflictions is a very intense word. You've got to think of something that's hard to bear, something that's very intense and difficult in your life, a fiery trial, something that unexpected comes your way. Suddenly your life is plunged into a valley of great difficulty. Now I could list a few things, they're not exhaustive. We could think of a personal health matter. Could, could you think of a wife that's taken ill and took into the hospital? And then the doctors tell her, 
that she's got cancer. And her husband, he goes every day to the hospital and he nurses her. And this goes on for a number of weeks and into months. And then, sadly and strangely, the husband takes a heart attack and dies. And her care is gone. And the minister has to go into the hospital, along with family members, and tell the poor wife that her husband has died of a heart attack. Could you think of that situation? We could think about family troubles. And isn't there loads of families with loads of troubles in a, in a variety of formats? You think of those that are facing financial hardship today. And we're in a time of financial hardship for many people. You think of businesses that may have to close and people losing their job and being placed in the dole. We could add into this mix loads of marital problems. And even in Christian homes, where you've got a sea of mummy and daddy, there can be marital difficulties. You think about mental issues and how many people are suffering distress and depression. And then we'll add into that moral chaos that has come. Because the world seems turned upside down. And then we'll add into the mix, here's another kind of problem. Death comes. Whether it's the death of a child or a young person or a middle-aged person or an older person. And then we'll add into this disease, pestilences, whether it's supposedly COVID-19 or monkeypox or whatever. We'll add into the mix then crime that takes place. People breaking into people's homes and stealing. Then think of war. You see, there's a variety of ways that we could describe as being afflicted and experiencing afflictions. And the bottom line is this, the testimony is, life is really hard. Now, on the one hand, life is precious, but life is hard. And life can be really hard to cope with and accept. And I want to say this, the Christian isn't immune. Trials and troubles are part of the Christian life. And situations will arise, unexpected hardship will come, and there will even be persecution of you as a Christian. There will even be opposition of you as a Christian. And you'll face difficulties of one sort or another, and there'll be struggles in your heart and struggles in your home. And, and, and nothing in life, not even the Christian life, stops us experiencing trials and troubles. You know, we should expect them. We shouldn't be surprised when they come. Not one of us will enjoy a sickness-free life. There's not one of us promised wealth and prosperity. I know the, the health and wealth prosperity gospel teaches that you, you'll never be sick in your life and, and, and God wants you to be a millionaire and God wants you to be a, a billionaire. But I have to tell you, it's unbiblical. It's a false gospel. I reject the teaching of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Many of God's people in the Bible and outside of the Bible could stand up and testify. What did you experience in life? Did, did you have sickness free? Did, did you have loads of wealth? And the answer is no. Jacob, all these things are against me when he was shown the blood of the coat of many colors, supposedly with Joseph's blood on it. 
You think of Job, a heavy burden that he had. You think of Paul, through much affliction we must enter into the kingdom of God. You see, remember what the apostle Peter says in uh, 1 Peter uh, and in chapter 1 and verse 6. He says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. There's nothing strange about being afflicted, suffering afflictions, the reality of our afflictions. Notice, secondly, I want you to think of the reason for our afflictions. You see, we'll come to understand in a little moment, David said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. Now, you see, afflictions and being afflicted is not a simple problem. It's complex. It's deep. And there's a variety of reasons. One, there's a commonality about afflictions. It's the common lot of all, not only the saved, but the unsaved. We live in a fallen, sinful world. And therefore, we're going to get hurt. Therefore, we're going to be sick. Therefore, we're going to have trials and troubles. Therefore, we're going to have tears. And therefore, we're also going to be sad. We're also going to die. Job said, man that is born of woman is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And because of the presence and reality of sin in the world, we live in a fallen world. And therefore, these things that I've mentioned are the common lot of all. There's a commonality about afflictions. Let me tell you something else. There's a corrective about afflictions. Think of verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now notice those words. I went astray. David is confessing here that he went astray for a time. He is confessing that in his statement of estrangement from God, God ordained certain afflictions, sent certain afflictions into David's life, one to get him to stop, one to get him to reflect, to get him to repent, and to bring him back into a life of loving obedience to the word of God. And it is not the testimony of many. People before they were saved went astray. And it was only through trials and troubles in their life that they stopped, reflected, and repented and received Christ as Lord and Savior. And isn't that the testimony of many who are backslidden? They were going their own way, doing their own thing, and the Lord came and stopped them because he brought affliction and trouble and pain into their life. And it made them realize there's a God in heaven whom I'm turning my back on. And they have repented and they've got right with the Lord. There's a corrective about afflictions, but there's also a construction about afflictions. You see, afflictions help us to realize our, our sinfulness, help us to realize our shortcoming, but also they're designed to build our character. What does afflictions reduce, produce in our life? If you look at Romans chapter 5 and underline these few verses, verses 3 and 4, Paul mentions tribulations 
Romans 5 and verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. You see, there's a construction element about afflictions, that they're designed to do something within us, to, to humble us, but also to, to build our account, to produce patience, produce hope, produce expectation. That there's a chief cause about affliction. God is at work. And, 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 and this is designed for the glory of God. Isn't there a deep mystery? Think of the man who was born blind the whole of his life. And then he met the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus healed him. John chapter 8. And Jesus said, this is for the glory of God. The one who can give physical and, and the one who can give spiritual sight. There's also a cosmic aspect about afflictions. Remember the story of Job? He lost all that he had. Suffering in the world, of course, proves the antagonism and the hatred of the devil and dark forces against the people of God. Here's a question. Can a, a, a man love the Lord and trust him for who he is, even if God allows the devil to take everything away from him that he has? And the answer is yes. And if you're a Christian and you love the Lord and you're trusting in Christ and you suppose and say to me, but the bottom has fallen out of my world and life really sucks and it really hurts. Well, what do I do? Well, you keep on loving the Lord and keep on trusting him and you keep looking to him. You see, the devil thought Job was good living for a living. Job's in it for what he can get out of it, Lord. Take away all that you've given him. Take away the hedge. Take away his health. And then he'd curse you and die. And God proved through Job's suffering that that wasn't true. You know, Job didn't suffer young people because he was a sinner. He suffered because he was a spiritual man of God. He suffered because of his spirituality. Now, those are the reasons for affliction. There may be others. I want you to think also, to watch the time here, think of the response to affliction. Notice Psalmist said in verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. You see, his response in the afflictions was not an ungodly response. It was not the response of a natural man. It is good for me. In other words, this is for my betterment. This is for my benefit. This is good and pure and true. He wasn't rebelling against God. He was not bitter because God had brought hardship into his life. He wasn't full of anger against God. It's the response of a child of God. Oh, well, was the afflictions pleasant? No. Were the afflictions, afflictions not painful? Yes, they were. But the psalmist could still respond, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. You see, as I said, many use pain and experience loss and hardship and they use it to denounce God and dethrone God and, 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 and denigrate God. They blaspheme against him. They challenge him of the all powerful and all loving and, and all wise. Why? why? Why not use your power and your wisdom to keep me from affliction? Well, here's the answer. Because it's the common lot of all men. 
And I can use affliction as a corrective to bring you back from your own selfish, sinful way. And I can use it to build your, your, your character. Uh, I can use it to build the grace of God in your life. And ultimately, afflictions are for my glory. And, and of course, I can prove to the devil that a people can love me even if the bottom has fallen out of their world. You see, pain and suffering is not incompatible with the goodness and the wisdom and the power and the love and the sovereignty of God. A sovereign God wills and does as he pleases. And I'm not suggesting that it's easy to say this. It's good for me to be afflicted. It's certainly not easy to show that when you're suffering that affliction. You think of a rod, it smarts, it's sore. But David said that it's good for me to have been afflicted. He's using the opportunity not to grow better, but to grow better in the Christian life. He's not mad at God. He hasn't got a chip on his shoulder. Do you know that the stories told of the chip on the shoulder where it come from, the United States of America? Some young boy would go about and he would have a little piece of wood or something on his shoulder and he'd be daring somebody else to knock it off. And if you came along and thought, there's a wee fella with a chip of wood on his shoulder, I'm going to knock it off and you knock it off. He's telling you if you knock it off, you're spoiling for a fight and I'm going to fight you and then we'll see uh, who wins. And that's where that come from, a, a chip on his shoulder. In, in other words, it's the whole aspect of being a contentious individual, looking for a fight. David shows that his response is not the response of the natural man because a natural man would never say this. A natural man would never experience this. David is experiencing great discernment here. He's exercising that discernment. He's, he's facing his trials and troubles, whatever they were. And he's saying, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. And maybe you're here this morning and you're listening to me and, and maybe you're, you're having difficulties in your home life. Maybe the children have gone AWOL, spiritually speaking, from the house of God the Christ of God. Maybe you're facing financial disaster. Maybe it's a midlife crisis. Maybe there's, there's marital woes and your wife is, wants a divorce and, and, and you're facing physical illness and, and it's mentally hard to cope and you're robbed of joy and peace. What do you do in that situation? Well, you do what David did. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. I want you to think not only of that response, but think of this as we finish, the results of affliction. You see, why did David say, it's good for me that I've been afflicted? Well, what did he mean? How could he say that? How, how can afflictions be good? Let me try and answer this in, in a few minutes as we have. You see, it proclaims our salvation. Afflictions, when they come, whatever format, certify the reality and validity of our faith in Christ. In other words, it's proof of the presence of grace in the heart. 
It is good for me that I've been afflicted. Why? Because the Lord has come sovereignly and providentially and graciously and God is at work in my life. And even though he's brought these dark, difficult days in, he's brought them in for a purpose. And a good purpose it is when God sends it because it proclaims our salvation. It proclaims that I'm in Christ. Thomas Watson said, bring on affliction. Why? It proves the reality of our faith in Christ and the sovereignty of God who sent it. See, the Bible talks about the trial of our faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes. It's not what we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. You think for a moment of the testing of metal. Somebody comes into a shop and says to the jeweler, I've got some gold to sell. Well, the jeweler's not just going to say to that man, um, that's great, how much do you want? And hands over the money. No, he's thinking, well, it could really be fake gold. It might be fool's gold. So he's going to examine it. And in olden times, of course, they examined it by applying the heat to it. In other words, they wanted to ascertain whether it was genuine, whether it was certified. And true faith, Faith in Christ is shown by fiery trials. You think of the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. They had many better experiences there. Remember, it's a great and terrible wilderness that they're journeying through. It's a bit like this world. At times they had no food at the cry of God. At times they had no water. At times the way was blocked. At times they were attacked by the enemy. They faced sickness. There was tension in the camp over the leadership between Aaron and Moses and others. There was no doubt angry words and angry thoughts. They experienced death because, remember, a whole generation died in the wilderness, buried in the desert. They had 40 years of trials. Now turn over there to the book of Deuteronomy. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. Listen to these words. I encourage you to underline them in your Bible if they haven't already. God asked the question, Who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness? Were in fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water? Who brought thee forth water out of the flock of rent? Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And over in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, we read these words. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not. But if ye be without chastening, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Why the serpents, Lord? Why the lack of water? Why the enemies are attacking? Why sickness? Why death? To test your faith. To prove and certify the reality and validity of your faith. You see, false faith won't do. 
False faith is not true saving faith in Christ. False faith doesn't unite you to Christ. False faith counts for nothing. And in the day of pain and suffering and trials and troubles, the psalmist said, it's good for me to be afflicted. Why? Because it certifies my faith in the Lord. See, the Lord will chasten his children. And there's days when life will hurt. There's days when life will be hard. And when you're at the point of despair and wondering why, just remember the Lord is using this to prove that you're his child. As I've said about Job, he didn't suffer because of his sin. He suffered because he was a spiritual man. His suffering had to do with his spirituality. The Bible says the Lord knows them that are his. The Lord knows what you're able to bear. And remember what we read there in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10 and in the verse um, 13. It says, There hath no temptation taken you but such as come unto man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. You see, the purity process is not an easy process. You think of the washing machine. The dishwasher, you put the clothes in, you put the soap in, you, you, you switch it on, the water turns round, and there's a period of agitation. And it's through that turning of that drum, it's through that period of agitation that the clothes are cleansed and the dishes are clean. If I think, young people, if a can of paint, and I've got some painting to do at the manse if anybody wants to come and help, um, but I'm sure if I lift up the can of paint, all the, the color of the paint has gone to the bottom of the can. What's the first thing you do when you start painting? Will you stir it up or you shake it? And, and you get the color back into it. And you see, God uses affliction to stir us up, but to prove that, that we are his children. Let me tell you something else it does. It not only proves our salvation, but it points us to our Savior. Look at Isaiah 53 for a moment. Isaiah 53, and remember what we read there, uh, speaking of the Lord Jesus in that beautiful chapter of Isaiah 53, and think of the verse 3 and 4 of this particular chapter. Listen to the word of God. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we as Hid as it were our faces from him. He is despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. You see, in your trials and troubles, I want you to think of Christ, the man of sorrows, the one who's acquainted with your grief, the one who is touched with the feeling of our infirmity, the one who is afflicted for you. Look to him, lean on him, learn of him. There has to be a life of complete dependence in him. Don't look at your crisis. Don't look at the circumstances all around you. Look to Christ. Think of his life of suffering for us. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's not separated from us. He's not that he's uh, unsympathetic toward us. In our darkest hour and deepest need, you draw near to Christ. And remember, he was smitten and afflicted for you. And that's where our sufficiency lies. That's where our security lies. There, there's nothing in comparison to what Christ suffered. He won't fail us. He won't forget us. He won't forsake us. Remember, you're in saving union with Christ. Maybe you're feeling this morning, I can't cut it. I'm not going to make it. 
because I'm suffering this and that. I'm saying to you, look to him. Lean on him today. That's where your strength is. That's where your help is. Maybe you feel, but I can't pray this morning. Well, just remember, Christ is praying in heaven for you right now. He knows your name and your need. Maybe you feel, well, I can't read the scriptures. I, I, can't, I can't think the scriptures of truth in my mind. Remember, there's a Christ in heaven who loves you and cares for you. The Bible tells us there in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4 and 15, these tremendous words. We read there, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity, but was an old point tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And even though friends may desert you, in the midst of your life's problems, Christ is the best and the dearest friend of all. And maybe you feel, but I have none to comfort. Well, there's none can comfort like our God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Draw near to him. You pray this morning in your trials and afflictions. Lord, speak to me. Lord, draw near to me. Lord, give me a word. Lord, give me a sign that you're here for me. You see, here's a tremendous truth to realize in the midst of your suffering. Realize you're not alone. Christ is with you. The man of sorrows. A friend in the time of need. And you're fully secure in him. And, and he's able to help. And whether you're hurting or, or, or worried or, or, or fearful in your time of trial, the Lord's your strength. The Lord is sympathetic. The Lord can hold you secure. The, the Lord can supply your need. It's all found in him. Very quickly, it also promotes our sanctification. It helps us to grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ. Go back to the relation, the illustration of the paint. You've got to stir it up. Because the color can stagnate to the bottom of the can. And it's only when it's stirred, the true color is fully revealed. And you see, if we think of tribulation working patience, patient experience, and experiencing hope, Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, the Lord is thinking... Of the longer term. These trials and troubles that come into our life aid our spiritual growth in grace and the knowledge of Christ. Aid us spiritually. They, they help us to make us grow in Christ. If I change the illustration from paint to pruning, think of a, an apple tree, a pear tree, or any other type of tree. At the time in the year, the gardener comes and prunes it. Why are you cutting those branches off? Look, look how deep you've cut them off. You're going to destroy the tree. I heard that one time from a man when I cut my late mother-in-law's vine. You, you, Reverend McLaughlin's destroyed the vine. Well, the next year it was the best year of, 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 of grapes ever. Why? Because it had been pruned back. And the Lord causes these things to come into our life so he can make us grow and help us to be like Christ. Can I tell you one other thing as we finish? It pinpoints our sin. David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. You see, we're prone to sin. We're prone to error of judgment. We're prone to go our own way. It's not, um, I almost went. It's I went. It's not I was tempted to go. I went. In other words, this is a deliberate, conscious choice. You think of David having his own way, whether it's zigzag in the course of marital infidelity or numbering the people at the end of his life, the Lord used the affliction to correct 
He used the affliction to chastise him. He uses, the cha- he uses the affliction to convict him of his sin, to bring him back into the right way. It was an act of mercy. God is good. And also, it presents the scriptures. Notice he says at the end, and we're finished. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Notice this in verse 71, that I might learn thy statutes. You see, when we go astray, we're ignorant of God and his word. We're turning to our own judgment, our own path. And then the Lord brings affliction. And then we can not only learn the word of God, but we can be able to understand the scriptures. It was Martin Luther said that affliction was his best schoolmaster to teach him the Bible. Can we learn the word of God through affliction? Can we seek God for a word? The answer is yes. Because affliction presents the scriptures of truth to us. God has got a reason, a plan, and a purpose. And you know, when you're going through affliction... You're able to sympathize with others. You're able to empathize. You're able to comfort others. And you can pray this as you go through it. Teach me thy good judgment. Especially when times are hard. The scriptures of truth teaches that. Teach me good judgment. Especially when times are hard. Let's learn to keep the scriptures. Let's learn to learn his statutes and lean on him, even as a result of our affliction. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening.